Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, February the 20th, 2024. It is currently 9.06 a.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Question. What was your first concert? What was the first concert you ever attended? I want you to think back. Some of you, you know, you, you, you've been alive for a very long time. That's a nice way of saying you're older. Can you think back way back in the olden days when you were listening to music? What was the first concert you ever attended? Come on. Was it something good? Is it something that you're embarrassed about? What was it? Now for me, my very first concert that I ever attended, I was in kindergarten. And I saw, well, the concert started like this. You wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest band in the land. Kiss. Yeah, that's, that's literally how it started. Yes, in kindergarten, my first concert was Kiss. My second concert was the band, very famous, Black Sabbath. All right, then I think my third concert was Kiss. And I think my fourth concert may have been, I don't know who it would have been at that point in time. I can't remember. I don't know. I mean, I've seen so, I mean, I have attended so many concerts in my life that I mean, I don't even have a number anymore. Like the band Rush, I saw them probably 30 times. I probably saw Kiss 40 times. And that's probably not even an exaggeration. I mean, if there was a concert anywhere near me and I had a way to get there and I didn't care how I got there, I did. I saw Michael Jackson. I mean, I could go on. Loverboy, ZZ Top. I could go on all the way up into to more, uh, obviously, current times. I love concerts. I loved concerts. And the reason I love concerts and I loved concerts is because I had a very, very strong love for music. In fact, I still love music. Sometimes I will joke my first love will, was music and it will be my last love. Now, I know that can sound very close to idolatry. And I've always admitted if there was an idol in my life, it was music, right? Music is, it's my, it's my drug. It's my air. I absolutely love music. So music played a very big part in my life. And when I see an article that talks about a certain, well, I'm going to call it genre of music. And in some ways, you may want to just call it a form of music that copied all the other genres. Okay, but all right, I, I, I digress. But there was a, a, a certain kind of music that I discovered. Let me, let me tell you before I tell you the article we're going to work through. Let me tell you how I discovered this form of music and what it was. I loved, so I loved music and I loved radio. I loved the concept of radio. I love this idea that I would have this radio and I'm listening to someone somewhere else in a studio in front of a microphone. You know, they were called disc jockeys, DJs, because they played, you know, disc, they played LPs, they played, they played vinyl, they played albums, right? Okay, I know that I'm dating myself, but there they were playing music. But most importantly, 
They talked about it. I, I know that's like going way back in the olden days, but they literally talked about music and they told you this is this is number one on the charts or this album is, is, is just released or coming up next month. This album is going to be released by this band. So let's listen to something from their last album. But they talked about music. And I loved that. I just loved, I loved that I could discover music that way. I could hear someone give me information about music that maybe wasn't readily available because again, remember, it's not like I could just Google anything at that time. So I loved radio. And what I would do is every once in a while, I would just go through the radio dial just to see if any radio stations had changed formats or if possible, a brand new radio station had come onto the scene. And so I was a teenager. I'm going through the radio dial and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? Where, where, where did this come from? It was 88.1 FM. And I'm like, okay, what is this? And so I started listening and I'm like, I've never heard this song before. Now that, that's shocking to me, right? Because if I, if I, if I'm listening to any radio station that's playing older music, right? I'm, I'm, I'm always baffled if I have not heard it. And even if it's playing new music, if I've never heard it before or I'm somehow unfamiliar with that, I'm always like, wait, wait, what's going on? What's going on? Because I better know every song on every station. I better know every song in every playlist. Okay. I want to know everything. Obviously I can't know everything, but trust me, I try. All right. So. I, I was going through and I'm like, what is this? I don't know who this band is. I don't know who this singer is. I don't even know what this is. And then I kept listening. I'm like, wait a minute. I think they're talking about like God or, or Jesus. And again, I, I wasn't, you know, raised in a Christian home. So I didn't have necessarily have the right theological definitions. I'm like, this is some kind of like, what is this? I didn't know what it was, but it sounded, it tried to sound somewhat contemporary. And I'm like, I don't really know what this is. And I'm like, okay, let me keep listening. And then they come on, 88.1, K, G, and Z, the king's good news. And I'm like, what in the world am I listening to? So I grabbed a pair of headphones and I started listening and I started listening. And then I grabbed a piece of paper and something to write with. And I was trying to write down the name of of like bands or, or groups or, or I was trying to figure out anything and they mentioned I don't remember the name of the band but they gave the name of some band and I'm like what is this so I'm like okay where where do you get this music right where do you get this music and I'm like oh wait a minute there's a place in the mall of Abilene what is it called I think it was called like the love store or the love shack or I know I'm sound like I'm quoting a, a secular song but I'm not okay I'm like um, what, what is it called? I don't remember where it's called. I, know, I remember where it was located, right? It was at the end of uh, one of the sections of the mall and right, and it was located to the right. It was a little store. And then right past that store was the entrance to Sears, right? So, uh, and I remember that it was there and I had gone into it a couple of times, but didn't really know what it was. I, I knew it was a religious store and I know that they had like music there, but I never paid any attention to it. Didn't really, I mean, I just know when, you know, when you're a kid walking up and down the mall for 18 hours a day, you, you, you kind of walk into every store at some point. I didn't really realize what the store was. I didn't really understand it. I didn't pay attention, but I remembered, huh, okay. Now I wonder if they sell this music. So I got in my car. I drove, I, I, maybe I wasn't even driving at the time. I got to the mall somehow and I went in there and I looked and I took my piece of paper. Do you have this? And I ended up, that was the first, well, 
contemporary Christian music album I ever bought. And again, I wish I remember the name of the artist. It was some like someone who never probably ever did anything ever again. And that was my first introduction to the world of contemporary Christian music. And it was not long after discovering 88.1 KG and Z that they were advertising that coming to Hardin-Simmons University, Abilene, Texas, was the band Petra. And I'm like, okay, who is Petra? I don't know anything about this band Petra. Who is this? So then I went back to that. Well, actually, I think I, I think I actually saw Petra albums in a secular, the quote unquote secular record store already using that. I hate those terms, you know, distinguishing between Christian and secular. Okay. But we could get into that whole discussion. And I remember buying uh, at least two albums by Petra. And then I went to the concert. And I was like, what world have I stepped into? What is this? I, this is, I don't get that. I, what is happening? Like, I, I was so com- confused and, and didn't quite understand everything that was going on. And I still didn't really quite understand even Christianity yet. And it was after all of that that I ended up becoming a Christian um, and a Southern Baptist church. So that was my introduction to the world of contemporary Christian music. And from that point, <laughs> it was going to be a wild and crazy ride that I was going to be, and I was, I, well, I was entering a wild and crazy ride. I didn't know it at the time, but it was just going to be crazy dealing with, well, music. The, the, the conflict between Christian music and secular music. And, and well, then you mix in a little bit of lordship salvation. It all got so confusing and maddening at times until, well, where I am today. So why am I talking about all of that? Well, recently, Christianity Today, on February the 16th, 2024, they published an article entitled, how contemporary Christian music, we'll just shorten that to CCM, how contemporary Christian music or CCM explains American Christianity. How contemporary Christian music explains American Christianity. Now this, as soon as I saw that headline, I'm like, oh, we've got to talk about this. This is fascinating to me because again, my introduction to Christianity is, well, in most cases, I mean, you have to base it on really contemporary Christian music. That's how I was introduced to it. So maybe my whole experience, especially early on in, in my Christian journey, maybe contemporary Christian music did explain, well, American Christianity, but at least the Christianity that I was being exposed to and the Christianity that I lived in and the Christianity that I was trying to figure out. Now, this is the net. So that's the, the headline. How contemporary Christian music explains American Christianity. Then right under that, they have kind of like a you know little subject line. And then this is what it says. When the CCM business malt model Faltered. So when the CCM business model faltered, for some reason, that's a, uh, I'm tw- getting tongue twisted trying to say that. When the CCM business model faltered, it gave way to what sells even better, politics and fear mongering. Now, that's interesting. 
So the CCM business model faltered. I think we can all agree the CCM business model faltered. It fell completely apart. Now, you could argue it fell apart for countless reasons. Like, I may want to look at it's, it faltered more from kind of what happened in the music industry itself. And I think contemporary Christian music was slow to adapt. I, I don't think Christian, the contemporary Christian music world saw where music was going and took advantage of it. It almost resisted it. And one of the obvious things you can see, things started moving to streaming. Things were moving to a streaming platforms. And in some cases, even there were some Christian websites that are dedicated, right? Dedicated to contemporary Christian music, writing reviews, promoting it, doing interviews, etc. And many, and some of those websites, I'd have to look at one, a famous one uh, today and see if they've finally made some changes. But they were very resistant to, you know, hey, if you're going to do a review or you're going to be talking about these new albums coming out, why aren't you putting a link to a playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer? Uh, Amazon music, YouTube music, all the, but they, they, they almost like, no, 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 no. We want people to buy the CD. And I'm like, who's buying a CD? Like what, what world do you live in? Wake up. Okay. This is the way the world is going. So I think there was a lot of reasons it's fa- it faltered. Uh, you could argue the church changed, which made it falter. We'll see where, where, where they, if they're going to talk about how it faltered, but they say once it faltered, once the CCM business model faltered, it gave way to what sells even better. So what sells even better, I guess, within American Christianity? Well, it may not be CCM, but it's politics and fear-mongering. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think, I think the, the new CCM is politics and fear-mongering in many evangelical churches. Let's see how they're going to handle this, all right? Here is the story, all right? Here we go. Now, they start with, well, the question I asked you. A friend and I was talking one day about the first concerts we ever attended. His was Van Halen. Mine was Amy Grant. Now, not mine, okay? (laughs) Definitely not mine, but the author here says his was Amy Grant, Okay, if your first concert was Amy Grant, in fact, if your first concert was any Christian band, you probably need counseling and you probably should sue your parents. Okay, I know, I know I'm going to offend some people, all right? But because in some ways, I feel like you got ripped off, right? You got you got the copy. You got the cheap imitation. You didn't get the real thing. Like if you were taken to some contemporary Christian concert for your first concert, you were being ripped off. Someone was lying to you. They were telling you, you know, it's like you, you go to the store and you want this, you want this candy bar or you want this drink or you want this box of cereal and your parents come home with the generic kind and try to convince you it's just as good as the name brand. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe it, it works that way in food or drink. I, I don't like that, but may, maybe it works for you. I, and now it's one thing to say, Hey, we're going to get this because it's cheaper. Don't convince me that it's better or the same, right? Well, when it comes to contemporary Christian music, a lot there was a lot of trying to convince you it's the same or it's just as good or it's better. I'm like, no, it's just a copy. It's a cheap ripoff. It's, it's cheap imitation. Give me the real thing. Okay, but 
I get into my musical philosophy here. So, so this person saw Amy Grant. Now, I, now to be full transparency, now you're going to find out. I lived in the contemporary Christian music world for a very long time, and I did a lot of convincing myself, and I did a lot of trying to understand it, okay? And then finally, it all kind of imploded, and my views on it now are much more negative. I had, for, I had a very love-hate relationship with it. Then I had, like, full-blown support, and now very antagonistic towards it, okay? And I, I will try to take you through this long journey as I use this article as kind of the framework to get us there. But he started with Amy Grant. So full transparency, I saw Amy Grant in concert. Now, this was the Amy Grant in the 80s, which was just starting to break through on secular radio stations. Um, I don't have the n- uh, name of the album in front of me. Uh, but of course, we all know she was going to have her full breakout into stardom in the 90s with Baby Baby. And I, I don't remember all the, the songs from that album. And then she- next thing you know, she was kind of becoming a she was becoming a mainstream star there for a little bit. And then, of course, everything happened with her marriage. She was getting a divorce. And then that was scandal in the evangelical world. And then, okay, all right. And we'll get into we'll get into a lot of that as well. So this person was Amy Grant. So then his friend said, okay, okay, okay. What about your second concert? Now, for him, it was Motley Crue. For, the, uh, for the, his friend, it was Motley Crue. For the author of the story, it was Petra, which, again, I saw Petra as well. After a minute or two of silence, he said, you realize we would have hated each other in middle school, don't you? Okay. Now, I can't, I don't know about now, but there was a time, at least when I was in school, that your music identified ever, your, your entire identity was, was connected to the music you listened to. And if you listen to certain, if you listen to the wrong kind of music, you weren't accepted by certain kids. You weren't like, you were the outcast. So it's probably right if uh, you would have hated each other in middle school, at least back then at that point in time. Now, one of us, now this is the author continuing, one of us was part of a sheltered subculture that was quickly passing away. The other listened to music that was a gateway drug to what some say led to riots and rebellion. Turns out my musical taste, not his was the dangerous one. Plot twist. Plot twist. All right, here's an article on a Christian website. The guy writing, he's the one who grew up in this protected subculture. He was the one listening to Amy Grant and Petra. He was the one listening to contemporary Christian music. His friend was listening to Van Halen and Motley Crue. And it says, and it turns out, it wasn't my friend who was listening to Motley Crue or Van Halen. He wasn't listening to the dangerous music. Turns out, it was the one listening to contemporary Christian music. That was the dangerous one. All right, that's a plot twist that I did not see coming, right? Because typically you'd be like, I can't believe that you were listening to Van Halen and Motley Crue. That was dangerous. That's the work of the enemy. That's the music of the devil. Yeah, you can tell I, 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 I've been through all of this. Okay, all right. So, what, what, what's going on? What, 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 what's? Where is this plot twist coming from? Well, this article is being written in some, I guess, in some ways, due to a new book, a new book entitled. Are you ready? In some ways, I want to read this. God gave rock and roll to you a history 
of contemporary Christian music. So it's a new book. God gave rock and roll to you a history of contemporary Christian music. Uh, the scholar Leah Payne argues that anyone wishing to understand some of the most monumental shifts in American culture and politics over the past 30 years ought to listen to the radio, specifically to the contemporary Christian music genre of a generation of white evangelicals. Wow, now that is a mouthful. All right, so there's a new book out. It is entitled, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, A History of Contemporary Christian Music. The person who wrote the book, Leah Payne, makes the argument that if you truly want to understand one of the most monumental shifts in American culture and politics over the past 30 years, what you need to do is listen to the radio or listen to a certain kind of music. And that specific music, they refer to it as a genre. I don't like referring to it as a genre because to me, it's just a copy of other genres. Contemporary Christian music is just a copy of other genres. There's the rock sounding Christian music. There's the country sounding Christian music. There's the pop sounding Christian music. And all they're doing copying other genres. That, that, that's, that gets to kind of a musical argument, but okay. So, but they say we should listen to it. And, and they refer to this as a genre of a generation of white evangelicals. Now, I think it's probably true that a large portion, if you went to a contemporary Christian music concert back then, um, it was made up primarily of white evangelical kids, right? These kids, many of them who were part of the youth culture, right? The youth group culture, I'll call it the youth group culture. They, they were a part of this subculture and many of them were there, not even necessarily by choice. They were kind of there by force because they're, you know, their church put them on a bus and took them to a Christian concert. Their parents said, this is the music you can listen to and took away everything else. And that's going to become a major part of this story as we move through it, okay? So here we go. This is what they have to say. Payne writes, so again, in the book, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, A History of Contemporary Christian Music, uh, the author writes that teenage kids like me were actually not the market for the CCM industry in the 1980s, the 1990s, and the early aughts. Our moms were. All right, now that's, that's interesting. So, according to this book that talks about a history of contemporary Christian music, that the business model in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, was that the business model was, we're not marketing this to the teenager. We're not marketing this to the youth. We are marketing this to the moms. That's who we have to get. We have to get them up. Now, immediately it makes me sit back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, last night, late last night, I talked about this, right? I, talk about, I talked about the Southern Baptists and their cooperative program, right? And I talked about when you look at that, is that the way church is really supposed to be? A denominational structure that, you know, receives billions of dollars. Is, is that really the way it's supposed to be? Well, when you look at the contemporary Christian music world, it's a music industry that there's marketing and they're, and they're trying to sell you this and they're trying to sell you that and these huge concerts where you pay money to get in and, and everything that it turned into, this entire kind of, you know, the contemporary Christian music industrial complex 
Once again, is that really what Christianity was designed to be? The way the church operates today, is that ever really the way it was supposed to be? And, I, and I'm going to keep asking that question because I've always been somewhat confounded and confused to what I read in the New Testament versus what you see today. Sometimes it's like, I don't, I don't get it. I know people say, no, we need denominational structure. Well, you have these denominational headquarters that they have to then have millions or billions of dollars. It's just the whole thing just reeks of business, not of something spiritual. Well, the contemporary Christian music industry, well, they're there to make money. No matter whether we like it or not, they were there to make money. Look, if you like it, denominations have to make money or they can't pay for their big buildings and all of their staff. I mean, it, it's just everything requires money. But they had a marketing strategy. And their marketing strategy was the moms. Payne reveals that industry executives even had a collective name for the suburban middle-class mother who sought out Christian alternatives to popular music for her children. And they called this, this name that they referred to these suburban moms as, middle-class mothers, they called them Becky. Not Becky with the good hair. Okay, all right, all right, making musical references. Okay, Becky, Becky. That was, that's who they were marketing to. We've got to get Becky to support this band. We got to get Becky to want to buy this music for their kids. We got to get Becky to want to buy concert tickets and get her kids there. We got to get Becky to want to promote this music to the youth pastor so that the youth pastor will take these kids to the concert. Becky, 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 Becky. We need Becky. All right. Now, I don't, I don't know how, what I make of this. Now, for me, for me, my ex this is where my experience was radically different than many of the Christian kids that I came in contact with or Christian kids that I, I got to know at a later time, especially our Christians who told their story of their childhoods. Because kids raised in a Christian home and they tell their stories of their childhood, I'm always like, wait, what was going on? Wait, what? You couldn't do what? 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 Like, it, it, it's, it's always like this weird, like, Tell me the strange tales of your childhood, okay? But for me, I did not have anyone promoting Christian music to me. I discovered Christian music on my own. I'm the one who discovered it. I'm the one who found a way to, the, to a record store or a Christian bookstore to buy it. I was the one who found a way to go see Petra. It was all me. I was discovering this brave new world that I wanted to understand first and foremost, just from a musical perspective, right? I Because it was, a, it was a new form of music that I didn't understand. I didn't care about the religiosity of it or the spirituality of it. I was just like, here's new music. I don't know it. I have to understand it. It's the same thing that happened. Look, and, and some, there was nothing spiritual going on for me at the beginning. The same thing happened when I moved to Omaha, Nebraska in the early, early 1990s, right? And then I'm going through the radio dial and all of a sudden I'm like, what is this? And it was this loop of like, like someone starting a car, dogs barking. Uh, like it was, I'm like, what is this, Right. I'm like, what, what, what is this? And it was just this continual loop because a new radio station was coming. I think it was 105.9 The View, right? And I think that's what it was called. And I kept, you know, I, it, it went on for days and I would play it all night as I was trying to sleep, just listening to this constant loop going, what is this? What, what is? And then all of a sudden it started. 
and it was contemporary jazz or sometimes known as smooth jazz or sometimes referred to as sea jazz, right? And I'm like, this whole new world of all of these artists that I had not heard of. And next thing you know, what am I doing? I'm buying every contemporary Christian or contemporary Christian, contemporary jazz album I can find, every sea jazz album I can find. I'm going to the uh, record store there in uh, Omaha going, okay, Con, you know, contemporary jazz. What is this? I don't know anything about this entire genre. And so I started, uh, you know, looking up everything I could find, reading whatever I could find, listening, listening, listening. And then the station really started catching on. And in the, in the, in the record store, they had, you know, the top 10 albums or top 10, whatever played from, you know, 105.9 The View, the top, you know, smooth jazz albums, contemporary jazz albums, sea jazz albums, whatever, you know, name you want to give it. And so I started exploring it, started going to every sea jazz concert I could find anywhere in, you know, anywhere. And just so to me, my, my experience was very different. Other people's experience was they're Christian kids and mom's like, you will not listen to any of that secular music. You will not. No secular music in this house. You will listen to Christian music. And so they didn't really, they kind of grew up without an option. In fact, they didn't even know that they were listening to a cheap imitation. They thought they were listening to the real thing. They didn't, they didn't really know that, no, that band is copying this band and that band is copying this band. Now, the Christian music industry is going to make a giant mistake in the 80s. They're going to make a, an absolutely horrible mistake that they didn't even realize that they were doing. And this article is going to mention it. But so some people, it was Becky who was the one driving what kids kids listened to or what the church was promoting, right? I didn't have that. So my experience was different, okay? So I, I got there on my own choice and my own free will. Now that was going to change. That was going to change drastically, right? Because I didn't, because now I was going to be entering into church culture, and then church culture was now going to serve as my Becky, right? So for, for other kids, Becky was their mom. For me, Becky was about to become the Christian culture that told me, you've got to burn all of your secular records, and here's the music you can listen to. All right, but so, so that was the first, right? So Becky was the way the Christian music industry promoted her. Now, the second avenue was the vibrant youth group culture of the time where I came to love CCM. This is the author speaking. All right, now, the vibrant youth culture. Once again, this is where I'm not going to fit into this discussion. I'm going to be outside of this discussion. So I'm trying to make it very clear that I'm the one kind of, I'm the outsider to all of this. Becky, for me, wasn't my mom. My mom was the one who supported my secular music. I mean, she's the one who took me to see Kiss. She was the one who took me to this secular concert and this secular concert and this secular concert. My mom was the one purchase purchased me a subscription to Billboard magazine, which at the time was like, I don't know, $500 because that was a magazine mainly for radio stations, but so that I could keep up with music charts. She was the one who purchased me imports from Europe when I was getting into what was going on in the UK music scene. So, um, that, so yeah, I was, I was in a completely different world than everyone else. When it came to the youth group culture, I 1000% as a teenager rejected it. I was, I was antagonistic to it. I was the one fighting against it, even though I was a teenager in the church. I looked at it as the most ridiculous, foolish, 
dumb thing that I, I have ever seen in my, I could not understand. I'm like, look, I, I th- th- and you got to look at it from an outsider perspective. I'm a teenager, right? Who could pretty much do whatever I want. I didn't really have many rules placed upon me, right? So why would, and so when I became a Christian, my thought is I come to church now to learn about God and the Bible and Jesus and and theology and doctrine. And I, I, I want to know all of this stuff. But every time I would come to church, anything associated with the youth culture, it was like this, this is just ridiculous. It's like trying to be cool, trying to be hip, little devotional messages. And it was all about what next activity we're going to do. We're going to play capture the flag. We're going to have a lock-in. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to go to Six Flags. And, it, and, and I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. And, and I kept telling the church, I don't need you to provide me fun. I can have all the fun I want on my own. Give me something of substance. So I abandoned the youth group. I was going to the adult Sunday school uh, uh, classrooms. I was going to the adult Bible studies. I, I did not, I like, it was, I was just constantly like, this is so ridiculous. And the times that I would show up to these things, I typically was probably an antagonistic jerk because I'm like, really? Th- this is what we're doing? Th- this this is what we're doing. Oh, oh man. Oh, we're going to have a lock-in and we're going to watch a movie. Whoa. Like, I can't do this on my own. Like, I don't need this nonsense. I, this is ridiculous. Okay. And, 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 and then the youth, whoever the youth, youth director, youth, whatever group leader was trying to be cool or hip. I'm like, this is whole, this whole thing is so cheesy. This whole thing is just so, it's like you guys are trying to pretend to be cool. And it's, you're the opposite of everything that even, look, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Now I did sometimes take them up on their ride to get to a Christian concert. I did sometimes take them up on that. But even then, I typically found myself somewhat antagonistic with the rest of the group because in many cases, I wanted to actually talk the music and, and, and compare it to other things. And well, nobody really wanted to talk music and oh, the whole, the whole thing. And when it came to church camp, I 100% rejected it. I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to put me in a bus. You're going to take me somewhere. You're going to isolate me from my outside influence. You're going to take away any of that outside influence because you can't have this. You can't, you can't take your Walkman. You can't whatever. So you're going to isolate me. Then you're going to indoctrinate me. And then you're going to emotionally manipulate me. And I was like, I think this is called brainwashing and I'm not going to church camp. So I refused to go to church camp. Never went. I stood my ground because, and then I watched the kids who came back from church camp who had been all emotional and they're like, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, and then the next thing you know, they're just like, they just fall right back. And it was just this emotional upheaval. And then they crash and burn. And I was like, you know, and then my best friend, he he couldn't go to church camp one year. His girlfriend did. And his girlfriend came back a changed person. Let me tell you, she came back from church camp transformed. She came back pregnant because she, well, that's what she was doing at church camp. Yeah. So, so then I had, I had a very negative view of everything about it. So I, so when it came to, I didn't have Becky, I had the church trying to tell me I should listen to this music. And I, and I really didn't have the youth group culture because I was somewhat antagonistic to the youth group culture. I always was, I was always antagonistic to, to it. To this day, I'm uh, I'm opposed to it. So, 
So they're, they're so that they were going to use Becky, the suburban uh, moms, and they were going to use the youth culture. Now, this is they go on to say, this is back uh, from the book. Uh, again, the book is called "God Gave Rock and Roll to You: A History of Contemporary Christian Music." Then the author writes this: the quirk of the CCM business model that the bulk of its sales came not through mainstream retailers marketing directly to teens, but through Christian bookstores who marketed primarily to evangelical caregivers interested in passing the faith to their children became its defining characteristic. So their entire business model was, we need the evangelical caregivers. We got to have the youth directors. We got to have everyone involved in the youth culture, camps, whatever. And we need the moms. That's who we need. That was their business model. All right. Now, here we go. The problem for Becky, according to Payne, was that in households where only Christian music was allowed, the very way a parent could convince an adolescent that he or she wasn't missing out on anything became the very problem the caregivers were trying to overcome. Now, this is very interesting. All right, so the contemporary Christian music world wanted to try to convince the parent that, hey, give your kid this and they're not going to miss out on anything. They're not going to miss out on anything. And you can convince your kids that they're not going to miss out on anything. And guess what we're going to do to help you do this? We're going to put inside those Christian music or those Christian bookstores we're going to have a big chart on the wall. And the big chart on the wall is going to be like, hey, if you like this band, well, then you're going to love this. So that we give you the secular band. If your kid likes this, or if your grandchild likes this, or if some kid in your youth group likes this band, get them, buy them this Christian album, because it's the same thing. It's just as good. It's it's even better. Well, this this is going to backfire in an epic way. And this article captures exactly how it's going to backfire. Listen to this, all right? So the problem for Becky, according to Payne, was that in households where only Christian music was allowed, the very way a parent could convince an adolescent that he or she wasn't missing out on anything became the very problem the caregivers were trying to overcome. Some of these kids, pain notes, use the CCM comparison charts to reverse engineer their listening taste. So she quotes one CCM listener saying, here's the quote, the chart said I would like audio adrenaline if I liked the Beastie Boys. That's how I fell in love <laughs> With the Beastie Boys. And it's absolutely ridiculous that anyone would say, hey, if you like the Beastie Boys, you're going to like Audio A. Give me a bre- audio adrenaline compared to the Beastie Boys. I mean, that's, that's absolutely, see, that's, that's such a sham. That's such, that's just, oh my goodness. Who, who could ever think that way? Audio adrenaline, the Beastie Boys? I mean, come on. I mean, oh. Okay, that, that's embarrassing. But did you see what the kids started doing? Oh, wait. You want me to buy audio adrenaline? 
you just told me about the Beastie Boys. I didn't know about the Beastie Boys because maybe you were raised in a Christian home. Now, I knew about the Beastie Boys. I'm talking about the, a kid raised in a Christian home. They have no clue who the Beastie Boys are. Beastie Boys were. So guess what they would do? They were like, forget, I'm not going to buy Audio A. I'm going to wait till I'm at the mall and then I'm going to get me a Beastie Boys album. And then I'll keep that in, you know, secret. I'll, 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 I'll hide that so I can hear the real. I mean, I don't want this audio adrenaline copy of the Beastie Boys. I mean, if the Beastie Boys are the original, then let me go to the Beastie Boys. That's what many Christian kids started doing, which then is going to be absolutely detrimental to your entire business model. In other words, your business model, you actually start becoming the advertiser for the secular bands. You see, that's a problem. Now they go on to say, how does an industry solve that problem? Well, Payne argues that one key way was to convince the Christian kids that they were the edgy ones. Now, I remember when this, this kind of kicked in, right? Now, for me, I kind of, now this is true for me. Now, again, I didn't have Becky. I didn't have Becky. I didn't have youth group culture because I was opposed to that. So I really, all I had for me was the church. Now they, they don't mention this one, but I, so this, this, they, they don't mention this one. So I'll go ahead and throw mine in now. Maybe they'll mention it a little later in the article. I don't remember, but let me throw it in now. So you have Becky, you have the suburban, you know, Christian mom saying, no, 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 you can't listen to this. You can't listen to this. You can't listen to that. You had youth culture, all right, which tried to get the kids into it, promoted it, took them to concerts. That's how come if you've ever been to a Christian concert, you would see all of these church buses in the parking lot because they, the youth groups, they brought them in. And, and, the, and those Christian bands, they needed that. The Christian music industry needed that, all right? So, so I, I didn't have either of those things. I didn't have either of those. And then they had the, the chart trying to convince you f- to get the alternative. Now, for me, I already knew all of the secular bands on the chart. In fact, That's what I would have preferred to listen to. But here's what I had. I had a church structure. I had, this is where two things come into play here. I had a church structure uh, in, you know, Southern Baptist, West Texas, where they told me the set, and because this was a big thing going on in the eighties in this area, there were all these churches having these like, you know, I'll call them anti-rock conferences, right? They would have a one-night conference where on a Friday night they would come in and they would scare you to death, show album covers and play parts of songs and, and scare the parents. Now, this was to scare the parents, so the parents then would go in and rip out all of the music from, you know, the kids' room. And then on Saturday, so that would be on a Friday night, and Saturday everyone would meet at the church parking lot and then you would burn your albums like a bunch of, a bunch of Nazis, okay? But, all right, but I digress. So for me, I was now found myself in this new subculture, this new Christian culture where they told me secular music is bad. Secular music is bad. Secular music is bad. You can't listen to that. You can't listen to that. It's not Christian. It's sinful. It's ungodly. You're committing basically blasphemy. You're, 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 you hate Jesus. You, you, you are a sinner. You're giving into Satan. You're opening yourself to demonic forces. If you listen to ACDC, demons will come out of your speakers. You'll find yourself oppressed by demons. You may find yourself, I mean, it's like, what in the world is going on, right? So then I was like, okay, okay, okay. I can't listen to this. And then the next thing that came in, this was very instrumental in my contemporary Christian music journey, Lordship Salvation. 
because Lordship Salvation basically told me that if I wasn't listening to Christian music and I was running around listening to secular music and enjoying it, that was probably a sign that I did not love God. Therefore, I was not saved. Oh, so now I had, that's where I, that's where I went. I didn't have Becky as a mom per se telling me what to do. I didn't have the youth culture, but I had this strong church culture that condemned everything that was secular except secular television and secular movies, which I, I started finding myself in great conflict with, right? I'm like, wait a minute. I can't listen to Bruce Springsteen, but I can watch. You know, you just start naming movies of the 80s. I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm so confused. Bruce Springsteen, bad, but that movie that you just watched that had 15 cuss words, good. And you do realize that that movie is just as secular as Bruce Springsteen. So I was really, I was really confounded and confused and, and was already starting to find myself in conflict with this culture. But Lordship Salvation told me, you got to do this, 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 you got to do this. You're not saved. And one of those things would be, well, don't, if you love the world, if you love the world, you're not a Christian. Okay, well, how do I not love the world? Don't love secular music. That, that was, it, was, it was just so like, we could get into the external pharisaical nature of all of this, but okay. So that's where I was. All right. Now, but then a new thing emerged. And this is where I, I'm a little conflicted. So you have Becky, you have youth culture is where, is where you had, had it. Right. And then you had the chart to try to convince you that you were listening to the same. So the chart, none of those things really had much, uh, no impact on me. Negative. I, I, I gave you what I had, but the next thing that kind of arose within the Christian music industry is like, Hey guys, listen, Listen here. And Audio Adrenaline had some songs that went this way. Of course, DC Talk is going to kind of write the anthem. It's called Jesus Freak, right? And so they come along with this new kind of marketing strategy. And it's like, hey, 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 kids, you're the edgy ones. You're the radical ones. See, because you're fighting the culture. You're taking a stand against the culture. You're the cool ones. They're the, they're not the cool ones. You're listening to music that's edgy. You're listening to music that's revolutionary. You, you. And so then they begin to market it this way. This is the way the book describes it. All right. So how does an industry solve this problem where now kids are using that chart to reverse engineer it and go to the secular music? Well, the book argues that one of the key ways was to convince the Christian kids that they were the edgy ones. The non-conforming Jesus freaks, willing to pray in public and to abstain from sex until marriage. Citing DC Talk's Jesus Freak music video, Payne writes, Christian teens who listen to CCM were not just geeky youth group kids, the video suggested. They were rebels fighting against the immoral, oppressive, mainstream culture. Now, I disagree with her at the margins here. Uh, in that I think Jesus Freak was well within the bounds of a call for Christian uh, distinctiveness. But Payne is certainly correct that an entire genre of songs went beyond this to suggest that the kid who feels made fun of for attending See You at the Pole Prayer event is being persecuted by a hostile culture in almost the same way as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, so he, so the author of the article thinks Jesus Freak fit within a proper call to a distinctiveness in Christianity. But he says that there was a whole line of songs that went like, you know, hey, 
you're fighting this and you're being persecuted and they're out to get you and and you're the one suffering for Jesus. You're you're the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I remember Russ Taff on uh, the album Metals. Um, uh, I see. We will not. Oh God, how did it go? I can't remember. I'd have to look up. I got the CD somewhere. But he had a song dealing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and about not bowing and not giving in. So there, there was a little bit of this. Now, I... I struggled with this at least in part, right? Because I like being, I love being the one not going along with the crowd. That, that, that's, you're speaking my language. I'm not going along with the crowd. I hate, I hate it. If you put even, if you put a slight amount of peer pressure on me to go one way, I'm coming in the next day and I'm going to the extreme, the opposite way, right? So I'm, I, I know way. If you tell me dress this way, I'm going to dress the opposite and I'm going to do so loudly and proudly just to prove a point. You tell me I'm going to listen to this, I'm going to listen to the opposite loudly and proudly just to prove a point. You tell me that because you go to high school, you have to have some kind of school spirit and root for your team. I'm going to root for the other team. In fact, if I could, I'd go play for the other team. You tell me that you have to get together for a bonfire. Why? I'm going to burn the thing down, which I did. Because I think, look, why? no, you tell me we have to go to prom. Why do I have to go to prom? You tell me we have to go on a senior trip. Why? Anything you tell me, I'm doing the opposite. So there was a little bit of this at first when I first discovered Christian music, because I could be like, hey, 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 no, but I've discovered this new world. So it, this did kind of appeal to me a little bit. And this did, uh, this did appeal to me early on with my Christianity. Ooh, I'm so different than them. I'm so different than them. And I'm so different than them. And sadly, that made Christianity more about me than it did about God. So, but I, so I, I definitely, this marketing probably worked with me a little, a lot more than I probably even want to give credit to, right? I, I, I was falling for a marketing campaign. To me, I, you know, it, it all felt like organic and I discovered this on my own. And then I was the, I, I, I was, you know, even more of an out, this even made me even more of an outsider. So there was a little bit of like, okay, I, I got this. I, I got where this is going. And it goes on to say, should conservative Protestant teenagers and college students be rightly equipped for the fact that they will be out of step with their peers in modern American culture? Yes. Now I do. I, now I, the author there is saying, hey, in one way, this, this music talking about this did kind of prepare you that, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be out of step with the culture. You're going to be out of step with the culture. Okay. Now, my problem is I kept finding myself out of step with the church, but that, that's a, a, that's a, that's a whole different issue. But okay. I can kind of agree that it, it was good to have, I guess, music, especially if you're raised in a Christian home that says, hey, you're the outsider and it's okay to be the outsider. It's cool to be the outsider. Now, I don't know if that's going to help you spiritually. It's more that it just may help you cope with the, the feelings of being the outsider, being the outcast. Nobody likes to feel that way. If this helped you with that, but then that's kind of meeting a psychological need. I don't know if it's necessarily meeting a spiritual need. That's where it kind of gets complicated. Now, the author of the article says, now we have a problem. The problem, though, is that Augustine's City of God would not sell very well in a 20th or 21st century American Christian market. 
the nuanced truth that you will be made to feel strange at times for following Christ, but you're not under persecution. And by the way, you're not nearly strange enough in the ways Jesus actually called you to be isn't nearly as exciting as this is the terminal generation. The elites are out to destroy you and you're the only thing standing between Christian America and the new world order. Now that's a powerful paragraph. He compares kind of the Christian music message with Augustine's city of God and that Augustine city of God would not sell well because it was more nuanced. Yeah, you're going to be different. Doesn't mean you're being persecuted. Because the world doesn't like Christianity and because the world rejects your morality or rejects your standards doesn't mean you're being persecuted. Because the world wants to go do this or that. Why do you feel like you're being persecuted? If they, if they make a movie that you don't like, that's not you being persecuted. If they mock Christianity, you're not being persecuted. You're being persecuted when they attack you and, 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 and hurt you. Okay. But sometimes we call persecution is just simply a world that says, you know, yeah, thank you for your offer, but I don't really want that Christian nonsense. Get out of my face. That's not persecution. And in many cases, this is very important. You're not nearly strange enough in the ways Jesus actually called you to be. So in many cases, Christians think that we're, we're so different than the world, but in many cases, we're not really different in a, in a really meaningful way. We're different with these very shallow externals. We're not really as different as we're called to be. And that's not as exciting as creating this kind of of marketing idea or this kind of mentality. And now I'll read it. I quote, this is the terminal generation. The elites are out to destroy you and you're the only thing standing between Christian America and the new world order. Now that sells. That sells. Now, I'm not saying Christian music necessarily stated it that way, but the church starts stating it that way. Definitely. God wants what you want for you to be happy, healthy, and flush with cash. That sells. That's true. So does you're the real America and everybody wants to kill you. Messages of actual cross-bearing and a cruciform life, however, do not sell well at all. Now, now that's, that's very true. Sorry about hitting the microphone there. It, it doesn't sell to, you know, to say, hey, sacrifice, deny self, love your enemy. That doesn't sell. But you're the real American and everybody wants to kill you. That, that's, that sells. There, there's, there's truth to that. In this book's analysis, the business model of CCM looked to the marketplace for signs of God's work in the world with the top-selling artists and products reflecting a consensus among consumers about what constituted right Christian teaching about God, the people of God, and their place in public life. Certain ideas thrived in large part because they appealed to white evangelical consumers. Other ideas faltered because they could not easily be sold. 
To some degree, that's to be expected. The music business, after all, is a business. But as Payne points out, some reformers, including uh, Charlie Peacock, I remember a few of his albums, warned of ways the business model could be at the cross purpose with the teaching uh, at the cro- at cross purposes with the teaching power of music. And many artists, such as the late Rich Mullins and Michael Card, charted a different, more theologically grounded and biblically holistic course. When the consensus determines what's acceptable as a Christian and what's not, one cannot help but end up with what the Guardian identified as a market-driven approach to truth, in which a group ends up finding uh, most, okay, in, in which a group ends up finding most hateful to God the sins that least tempts its members, while those sins that are most popular become redefined and even sanctified. Okay, we've got to spend some time with that sentence. That's so good. All right, so the music business, because of the way it works, well, what sells is what's true. What doesn't sell is false, Right. And you go along to get along. And if you tried to speak against the industry, well, you ended up going away. There were some artists who tried a different approach, much more theologically sound music and based music. And they did sell for a while. And I think ultimately they kind of fell to the wayside and it, it didn't last. There's always times someone will rise up and be able to make it a little bit, but usually it doesn't last. Um, and we could get into a whole discussion about the CCM world uh, there. But I, I want you to hear this. All right. There is a market-driven approach that kind of arises within Christianity in which a group ends up finding now this is this is what happens. So so you, this kind of market approach what happens within Christianity is a group finds most hateful to God, the sins that least tempts its members. So what ultimately happens is like, we're going to talk about these sins and these sins and these sins because they don't really tempt us, but these are really bad sins and we hate these sins. While those sins that are most popular become redefined and even sanctified. The sins that kind of show up in us, we're going to redefine them and we're going to sanctify them so we don't have to feel so guilty. Now, I don't think that's a CCM problem. That's a, that's a church problem. Now, this article goes on. There's, there, it, they, they begin to, to go, they, they add a lot here. They add a lot here, okay, um, where they talk a little bit more. Now, they say books, they say, and I see a new generation of musicians and songwriters who are preparing, often without institutional props, to drive others to the actual Bible, to the actual Jesus, whether it sells or not. This path from CCM glory days to an evangelicalism and crisis should inform us, and Payne's book does that brilliantly. But it also is true that some of the reverberations of grace from those years will ring in some of our ears. I don't want to reverse engineer that. We need all the music we can get, especially that which doesn't just reinforce what already stirs our passions, what already makes us uh, afraid. There's room for that. It's a big, big house, which is, of course, is a play on uh, a song by Audio Adrenaline. Okay, so what I challenge you to do is go to CC, uh, go to uh, Christianity Today 
look for the article, How Contemporary Christian Music Explains American Christianity, and then, uh, and, and then look for that, and you can read the rest of it, because we're already at 59 minutes, so we're running out of time. Uh, if I can try to read the rest of this, this is going to be two hours long. Here is what I would say. I don't, I don't, I don't know if contemporary Christian music, remember the name of the article? I'm going to go back to the name of the article. I don't know if contemporary Christian music explains American Christianity. I think contemporary Christian music reflected American Christianity. And it became about marketing, about what sells, about what is popular, about finding your fan base, and about these techniques which seeks to control and to manipulate and to intimidate. I think it tries to create a message that's going to be advantageous to it, right? The church likes to create messages that, hey, hey, they're all bad. You need us we, because it's advantageous for numbers. It's ad- advantageous for attendance. It's, it's that type of thing. So I think, I think it's reflected American Christianity. I, I think, I don't know if it explains it. I think it reflects it. Now, my, what, what began to be unraveling to me was a couple of things. The more I, there was a magazine called, I think it was called, uh, was it CCM Today? I think it was, it was a CCM magazine. I can't remember the name of it. Contemporary Christian Music Magazine. Maybe it was just CCM Magazine. And um, I started reading because it was sold in the local Christian music, basically music store. Uh, there in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, where I bought all of my Christian music. And I really liked the, uh, the, t- the two owners. It was Jonathan and David uh, was the name of the, of the store. And they, made, they basically created an entire just giant Christian music store. It was awesome. And uh, I supported them, and I, I always loved talking to them. And, uh, but they also sold the Contemporary Christian Music Magazine, and I bought that thing every time there was a new issue. And that began to show me what was really going on in the industry. And it wasn't as spiritual or as godly as I imagined. Maybe I was naive. Now, remember, my what was greatly influencing me was lordship salvation, right? Lordship salvation, lordship salvation. So I'm listening to Christian music because I got to prove that I'm a Christian. I'm going to Christian concerts. And so I, I, a lot of that was really, I was clinging to as one of the things to help me pass the lordship test, Right. Because it was all about what you do and what you do and what you don't do. So even though I may have struggled with 15 other sins, I could pat myself on the back going, hey, 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 hey. At least I listen to contemporary Christian music and I go to Christian concerts and I don't listen to that bad music. See, see, look at me. I'm passing the Lordship test, right? Of course, minimizing other sins and oh, the whole thing is crazy. But once I kind of started seeing, well, wait a minute, the Christian music industry there's divorce. And if you start looking at the history of it, oh, wow, it was a mess of uh, who knows how many of their marriages fell apart. There was every kind of sin in the world going on. And you're kind of like, this, this is not. And then you find out that a lot of the CCM artists didn't even really belong to a church or even go to church really. And And some of their doctrinal views were like, what in the world is going on? And then, and then you found out that they were listening to secular music because that's what they were influenced by. And it was kind of like a, a wake up call. And then I kind of started getting more and more frustrated by the fact of, 
you know what? This is just copying, 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 copying. So I started having much more of a love hate relationship with it. And then, um, yeah, then it, after a while, I felt like the church was always shoving this down your throat. And it was just a little bit of time. I was just like, you know what? I'm getting, I'm getting sick of this. And then, um, and then, you know, you had the explosion of praise and worship that was then dominated by, you know, Hillsong, Bethel, and all these mega charismatic churches. And then it was just the whole thing was like, oh, this is driving me crazy. And then some of the lyrics, uh, then you were like, these have got so many theological problems. And then it's just become this maddening world of like, what is all of this? So for me, I became much more disillusioned and frustrated with it because I did feel that it lost some of that, er the early stuff. I felt like was definitely much more ministry minded, right? I also became very disillusioned by, you know, some Christian singer coming, I, you know, I, I, uh, there was a very popular Christian singer, I think it was Stephen Curtis Chapman, who was coming to Bellevue, Nebraska, kind of right there outside of Omaha. And he was going to be playing at an Assemblies of God church, a church, a church, and I think it was going to be like $50, between $40 or $50 to get in, some crazy amount. In other words, for me to get my family in there, it was going to be well over $100, well over. And we were like, this is ridiculous. So because because it, it was like he's ministering to people. It was, it, was, it was sold as a ministry. But then I had to pay like $100 to get my family in, and it was inside a church. So then we started like writing, you know, emails and asking and calling, trying to get some answers. And then it was like, well, you don't understand. We got to pay to use the church. I'm like, wait, the church is charging you to use the building? What? And then, and then, and then it just, oh, little bit by little bit, I just became more and more disillusioned with it all. I just, I just and I guess what else I found? And this is where a lot of the Lordship stuff started kind of falling apart. No matter how much Christian music I listened to, I was still sinning, still a sinner, still wrong thoughts, still wrong desires, that it somehow didn't have some magical power to subdue the sinful nature. Now, I know people will argue against that all day, but I'm sorry, it doesn't. Now, you, you could say it could be helpful. I'm not saying it can't be helpful, but it's not. I'm still going to sin. And it was kind of sold as at least for me as a teenager, if you listen to this music, you're not going to have any of these other problems. But guess what? I knew all these kids who were raised in Christian homes, who all they listened to was Christian music. And guess what? They were having the same struggles with the same sins the kids who were listening to secular music was. The kids going to Christian concerts or the kids going to the secular concerts, they, when it all broke down, maybe some were more externally unrighteous. But when you really got behind the scenes and started talking to these kids, they were they were doing all the stuff the secular kids were doing, other than maybe they weren't doing drugs or getting drunk, but they were still struggling with all kinds of sins. They were still backstabbing, gossip, lying, deceitful, struggling with everything from you know pornography to sex. They, they were just like everyone else. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you're listening to Christian music. We should stop sinning. And I'm like, it, it's, it, it didn't work that way. So I don't know where you fall into play there. The, the article kind of, I, I, like I get, we, had to, we had to drop out of the article because of time. So I definitely want you to go finish it. And maybe I'll go back and we'll take some more from it. But the Christian music world, I think, reflected the church. And the church became a marketing strategy, became this huge business. 
and and Christian Christian music world just became the same thing. It may have started in a much more genuine way, but it became a business. And there was marketing strategies, just like the church uses marketing strategy. So then we could kind of go back to the question we asked last night. When does this, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, when does it stop being anything that's even reflected in New Testament Christianity? When does the church become these billions of dollars going to all of these things? When does it stop being, well, a New Testament church in any meaningful way? Now, I'll stop there. There's more I want to say, but I would rather just stop and kind of leave with some questions and leave us just challenging ourselves to kind of look at that entire world. I don't know how you navigated that world. It was a crazy ride. I finally found my way kind of out of it and 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 very much more kind of I have great fond memories of some of those especially early discovery of Christian music and, and how some of that music was very, did very much speak to me at times. But then becoming more and more disillusioned and frustrated and irritated, not just with, the, really with all so many aspects of Christianity. Well, when I say Christian, let's call it churchianity. Let's call it not, not, true biblical Christian, but this, this, just what churchianity becomes something, the evangelical world, all of that. And I think a lot of people kind of walk away from it. What was your experience? You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Christianity Today, the name of the article is... How Contemporary Christian Music Explains American Christianity. Please look up and read the whole article. The name of the book is God Gave Rock and Roll to You, A History of Contemporary Christian Music. Please think about purchasing that book. Because maybe that book does show us the history of a music form that very much influenced, well, an entire generation of Christians and maybe in some ways does reflect American Christianity. I don't know if it, if it, as they say, explains it, but I definitely think in many ways it reflects it. And well, we could have that discussion. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.